You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Tested. This series explores the book of 1 Peter to learn how we can respond when our faith is tested. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. If you're a guest today, you've wandered in and say, oh, they're going to talk about submission. And if you're a, a lady, you're thinking, oh, my, I'm thrilled. And you, you should be, you should be thrilled. Um, we're in a series in First Peter, and it's one of the good things about doing a series where you're preaching through a book of the Bible is you just don't talk on your favorite topics. You're giving the whole counsel of God because we're just going through this thing verse by verse, and this is the next section. And it's, it's great, actually. It's going to be good. It's going to be good because my wife's going to come up and talk a little bit about it, which gives a little more credibility than me talking about it, especially if you know her. Well, in this uh, book of Peter, Peter has, within the context, has been talking about how uh, privileged we are, how blessed we are, that God has saved us and that he's caused us to be born again. It was his initiative. He did it. And, and he's talking about the imperishable inheritance we now have in God, that God has given to us, that he's uh, chosen us. So he's, he's expounding on these rich privileges we have as a people of God. Uh, we were not, we're one time not really a people. Now we are. We're the people of God. We're born, born into the family of God. And as a result of the transforming power, loving power of Jesus that has saved us and changed our lives internally, he goes on to begin to talk about how that works out externally, what a, what a transformed life actually looks like practically that others can see what has happened to you on the inside. And so he says things like this in chapter 2, verse 12, to, to keep your conduct among people honorable, that and people begin to ask questions. How is it that you behave in, in such a way? Why didn't you retaliate? Why didn't you defend yourself? And it, it opens up the whole world to what happens when Jesus changes our lives and we put our trust in him. And he talked about, in particular, three different spheres. About two weeks ago, Brian talked about being subject to, submitted to, governmental authorities. And that's not the easiest thing to do, especially when the IRS comes knocking on your door. But be subject to, be be submitted to, have a, have a right attitude toward. And it's, that's interesting because these people were suffering greatly because of the emperor. Many of them have been uprooted and houses have been destroyed and they'd lost their jobs and they've been uh, scattered as a result. And yet he says to be subject to state authority. And he talks about, Dylan talked last week really wonderfully about the workplace, what it's like in the workplace and sometimes what it's like to be working in an unjust place where the boss is not just or where you've been falsely accused. And, and again, he talks about this whole arena of submission. And so the life of Jesus works itself out practically in your everyday life. The gospel has an impact on your everyday life. Now, today, moving right through these, these uh, verses, he talks about marriage and also being subject or be submitted, wives in particular, he's talking about here, but he has something to say to the guys. So gals, hang on, because we're going to wrap this thing up this morning by hammering out the guys, okay? We're going to fix them for you. It'll be different. So 
just enjoy the ride till we get there. And then uh, don't say amen at the inappropriate time, please. <laughs> but what Peter's talking about is a revolutionary. It's revolutionary to a culture and especially to our Western culture. It just is the antithesis of what we've been uh, raised up in our culture to believe. Now, I, I think about things whenever I read the scripture. I think, wonder what that was like. Wonder what that looked like. Wonder what that smelled like. I kind of like get into it and begin to ask myself these questions. Have you ever wondered, ladies, what it would have been like to be married to the Apostle Peter? Of course you haven't. But I was wondering about that this week. <laughs> uh, because Peter is one of those apostles that I can and most men could easily identify with. Because he's kind of the guy that opened his mouth oftentimes and said things without really thinking it through. He was kind of like whenever it comes to relationships and interaction, he was kind of like one of those bull in the china shop kind of guys, you know. You ladies know what I'm talking about? He's kind of was one of those guys. Please don't say amen at the inappropriate time. Now, what would have been like being married to Peter? Because Peter got married... And he had a fishing business. Then he met Jesus. And he committed his life to following Jesus, and his whole life changed at that point. I mean, everything changed. And uh, it affected her, for sure. Because a major decision like that that your husband makes, especially when he decides to leave his business. Well, how are you going to get supported here, ladies? He leaves his business to follow Jesus. As Jesus invites him, follow me, and I'll make you features of men. It affected her. And she may have thought, you know, this is not what I signed up for. Whenever I married you, you had a fishing business. Now you don't. It's not, it wasn't part of the original deal. We didn't know about this. It's going to happen. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, he speaks of the apostles that had wives that traveled with them. And Peter, he mentions specifically Peter. Peter's wife traveled with him. No longer is she the wife of a man who has his own business, and they have, a, they have their home, and they, she's feathered her nest really, really well. And her mother lives with them as well. Mark 1 talks about the mother-in-law living there in the house. What a hoot. And <laughs> I shouldn't say this. I should. It just popped into my head, and if it's bad, please forgive me. Maybe I should. Uh, definition of mixed emotions is seeing your mother-in-law drive over a cliff in your new car. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Forgive me. I, you've forgotten everything I said now. That's the one thing you'll remember. This is what the preacher preached on. But so it affects everything about their life. So Peter now is engaged in traveling, sharing the gospel, which wasn't popular in that day, which meant. They, they lived in pretty inconvenient situations at times. There was certainly uncertainty about what it's going to be like tomorrow. Peter actually got arrested for preaching the gospel, got thrown in jail. Different things like this would happen. Now she's married to this guy who's not appreciated in her society, in her culture, and maybe by even some of her relatives. And so the, the marriage, no doubt, would have had a certain amount of stress involved in it as you begin to think about these things. Now... Paul writes, Peter writes rather, and he's telling people about what it's like to follow Jesus and that Jesus makes a difference in your life and he transforms your life not only internally but it works itself out in outward conduct, 
And he says, whether it's the state, which is hostile, the government was hostile to them. Caesar was persecuting the Christians greatly, whether it's the state or whether it's a, a boss, an unjust boss, that the gospel of Jesus affects every area of your life. It has a transforming nature in everything that you face in life. It's, 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 it's not something about Sunday. Being a follower of Jesus is not about a Sunday church meeting. It's about the entirety of your life 24-7. And, and it has, it, the gospel has power and impact on your life as you relate to uh, government authorities around you, as it relates to your, your workplace, but also as a result in your marriage. I remember when I, Lynn and I first started, we were just, we were just married, and we went off to start a brand new church, and like we were pretty young, and I was, I was 21 at the time, and, and, and we, we both got jobs uh, to support ourselves so we can start these churches. And when we did that, I, I got a job in a factory as a laborer. It was pretty hard work. It was like where they made these countertops that you put in houses, Formica countertops, big long ones, L-shaped ones, all that sort of thing. And, and my job was to take these countertops. And I was a little guy back then. Well, I was fairly strong, though. And I was, I was to stack these things up by hand, pick them up. And they were not balanced. You had to get them just right, stack them up, stack them up. And I had a boss who roared around the place cussing guys out all the time. And it's like I worked 50 hours a week doing that. And I had this boss all the time. He just went around and exercised his authority. And he just, the way he did that was like cursing us out all the time, cursing us out all the time. And you know what? That was really good for me because it helped me to kind of work out my own reaction. Because I want you to know I did not feel lovingly toward him at those moments. I wanted to help him get the feel of what it's like to have one of those countertops. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't, actually. Well, so Peter is writing, explaining there's no place the gospel doesn't work. Now, what is interesting about this series of verses is there's six of them for the wives and one for the husband, which doesn't mean the wives need six much times more work than the guys, but there's a reason. It, because in Ephesians 5, Paul spends most of the time talking to the guys. He spends three times as much talking to husbands as he does to the wives. And when God created marriage, he spoke exclusively to the husband, really. He says, this is what you're supposed to do. This is how you take care of this woman. And you're to leave everything, and you're to pursue her and give your life to her. And whenever you do that, you'll become one, become like one. So with other portions of the Bible, a lot of the instructions really are to, to the guys. They're brief because guys aren't very good with two pages of instructions. They're better off with one-liners. So God's instructions were like 24 words. And that was it. That was, if you get that, you'll probably make it. But there's a reason why Peter spent so much time talking to the ladies. Because actually, at this particular time, a lot of these ladies were married to people who were not followers of Jesus. They were not Christians. And he's pastoring them. He's helping them. They need more attention because of the difficult situations in which they were engaged in. Their husbands weren't around when a lot of them become followers of Jesus. And there's another reason he spends so much time talking to the ladies that sticks out in these verses. Is that he's trying to encourage the women to know that, look, the life of Jesus that saved you, transformed you internally, also 
has an effect on you in all of your relationships of life and will be your strength. And when you look at your marriage, ladies, he's saying, treat your husband as Jesus, who is our example, treated those even who were unjust to him from time to time. He was trying to encourage them. So he says, submit to Caesar, uh, not for Caesar's sake, but for the sake of the Lord, for workers or slaves. He says in chapter 2, verse 19, be mindful of God all the time. Let that be in your head. In other words, all that you do every day of your life, you're, it's, it's unto Jesus. When you go to work and clock in, it's to Jesus. Everything is to him for his honor and glory. And in your marriage relationships, in all of your situations, the gospel has something to say. Now, let me quickly go to the Council of the Wise. We're going to work through that. And then Linda's going to come up and say a couple of words. And I'll show you a little movie. How'd that be? All right. He tells the wives in verses 1 through 6, he says, be submissive, and basically two things, be submissive and develop true beauty. Likewise, or in the same way, likewise as what? In the same way as what? Well, wives treat your husbands in the same way that Jesus treated those, even those who crucified him. So if, if you got, sometimes, sometimes, there was a time, one time, I forgot, it's been so long ago, that actually irritated Linda. Might even have been this week. <clears throat> We're preaching this thing, and it always happens. <clears throat> you, if you start talking about marriage, and you are married, and you're the people doing the talking, something's going to happen that week. <laughs> More than once. Okay. But we're good now, aren't we, babe? Yes. There it is. <laughs> All right. So, in the same way as, as Jesus has demonstrated something in his submission to the state, to all that he was called to do, there's a reason for that. People be, actually begin to see that your expression of faith verbally in Jesus Christ has reality in your everyday life. They see it worked out. They see it worked out in all your relationships, including your marriage relationship. And so God has built a marriage relationship as a very fabric of life. In all of these relationships, we can see a living illustration of what it means for God to be bound to his people and his people to be bound to him. And it's, and it's demonstrated in the marriage. The centrality of the minister of, of the wife, the ministry of the wife, to her husband is to be a partner with him, working together with him. They are, they are not one's not superior to the other. They, they have different places. They have different roles, but they're not superior to one another. She is a partner together with her husband. So wives, in your relationship with your husbands, he tells them, win them by your conduct. Don't sin by retaliating, by nagging, by making threats, but trust God. If you put your trust in God, he's got your back. He'll work some things out on your behalf. And we'll hear more about it in just a minute. Now, and how does he say a wife is to imitate Jesus in relationship to her marriage to her husband. Wives are to imitate Jesus by being submissive to their husbands. Ruth Graham says, it's my responsibility to love my husband. It's God's responsibility to make him good. <laughs> so, I want to show you a little clip right now. Submissive. What does it mean? And this is a, an interview, and I've watched her a couple times this week. I'm pretty impressed with this lady. Candace Cameron Bure, who was who's a movie actress on the series Full House, but she also stars in other movies and actually produces movies. So she's not a weak woman. This is like a career woman, strong woman. 
And let's look at this video. I think you're going to like it. Having a healthy marriage is, of course, mm -hmm. a top priority for many individuals while trying to balance a career and balance a family. Mm -hmm. And so in your book, you do share advice that's a, a little controversial. I do want to go to a quote about <laughs> marriage that I think, I don't know, many women might take an issue with. She, you say, oh, okay. my husband is a natural-born leader. I quickly learned that I had to find a way of honoring his take-charge personality and not get frustrated about his desire to have the final decision on just about everything. I'm not a passive person, but I choose to fall in a more submissive role in our relationship because I wanted to do everything in my power to make my marriage and family work. Yeah. And 2013, the Amen. word, the, so the word <laughs> submissive is a, is, a, is a powerful choice. Sure, it is, but um, the, the definition that I'm, I'm using with the word submissive is the biblical definition of that. So it is meekness. It is not weakness. Meek is having its strength under control. It is bridled strength, and that's what I choose to have in my marriage. And listen, I love that my man is a leader. I want him to lead and, and be the head of our family, and those decisions, major decisions, do fall on him. It doesn't mean I don't voice my opinion. It doesn't mean I don't have an opinion. I absolutely do, uh, but... but it is very difficult to have two heads of authority. Doesn't work in in military. It doesn't work. I mean, you have one president. You know what I'm saying? And then you have the vice president. You've got you've got all the people that are under working with him. And uh, when you're competing with two heads, that poses a lot of um, can pose a lot of problems or issues. So within my marriage, uh, we are equal in our um, in our I'm looking for the right word, importance, but we are just different in our performances within our marriage. But you even specifically say, if we disagree on something, mm -hmm. he is right. He is the one that gets to... No, it doesn't mean he's right. But I allow him to make the final choice, absolutely. Even at the detriment of your family. Uh, yeah, yeah. But obviously, I will make my opinion very clear. And, and clearly, I have been married for 17 years, and we have a very happy marriage, and it works very well. So I trust my husband. But that trust has been built. And, um, and I know that because I trust him and I build him up, that he, and give him the respect that he would like to have within marriage, that he so listens to everything that I have to say and takes my opinion and uh, very seriously. And many of the times he will sway to what I would like, um, even if he doesn't see eye to eye with me, because he really values my opinion. Um, so again, I, I use that word, but I, but I feel like uh, it's taken so strongly when I'm kind of like, everyone just calm down. I listened to another interview by her this week. This is a very, very impressive uh, lady. But it's interesting in this interview because this is so counter our culture. Stand up for your rights. Don't let anyone run over you. And there's this person's rights and that person's rights. And everyone's standing up for their rights. And you can almost hear the disbelief. This is Huffington Post. This is a liberal press here. But you can almost hear the disbelief in the interviewer's voice. Candace says, I allow my husband to make the final decision. And the interviewer is shocked. And she says, even to the detriment of your family, even if it hurts your family... Now, why would that interview pose that question? Well, why, why would she imply that submission would harm the family? Well, I can understand that. One reason is husbands aren't always right. 
Now I get an amens. Come on. <laughs> Way to go, lady. They do mess up, and sometimes a lot. And whenever it looks like a guy's going to blow it, you've got to protect yourself, right? That's the idea. Protect yourself because no one else will. And this is a Western cultural view of relationships. And it's what people who don't follow Scripture, don't follow Jesus, that's that's what they do. Now, why did Jesus treat those who crucified him the way he did? This is what it says in 1 Peter 2.23. When he was reviled, he did not return. He did not revile in return. And when he suffered, it says he did not threaten. Then it says the strong, amazing words. Verse 23. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. How could he do this? Because he trusted God. And it's about an issue of trust. You stand up for yourself in a way and you don't, you, you react in a way that Western culture would say you should react because in actuality, you're defending yourself. You just can't trust God. And so wives, how can wives submit confidently to their husbands? Because you trust God, who is the just judge. Remember Ruth Graham? My responsibility to love my husband is God's to make it good. I trust God. And Scripture says, 3, 5, this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their husbands. And it's real beauty that is Peter, Peter's focus is here on, for women, verses 3, 4, and 5. He's, he's not recommending that women somehow, whenever he talks about all the outward thing, you know, dress and braided hair and gold and all that kind of stuff, He's not saying, hey, don't do that, don't do that. He's not talking about women being frumpish. If you, if you, you can't believe that and read the Song of Solomon, amazing book. He's talking about a beauty that transcends outwardly. It transcends, and we're, we're interested in beauty. And there's a beauty that can't be found in a box or in a jewelry store. And you can see it, I, mean, I can see it in, in older women, more mature women. <laughs> Aging, <laughs> aging with, with real grace and undying beauty. There is, there's a special beauty that uh, I'm just going to tout mature women. I, you know, you, you young girls are beautiful and all that. But there's something of an ongoing experience and maturity and a, and a continuing trust in God that creates an inner beauty in a mature woman, and just or any woman actually, creates a, a particular kind of beauty that's unfading. See, the outward stuff fades. Enjoy it while you can, but it fades. <laughs> There's few of us that stay beautiful into our old age. <laughs> but there's a confidence and a, and a grace and... Uh, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is beautiful. And, and, and this is not a, uh, like Jesus saying, this is a womanly principle, uh, uh, a gentle and quiet spirit. It's a Christ-like principle because he says, I'm gentle and lowly of heart, and you can find rest in me. And a man finds rest in a woman who's beautiful in this way. She's gentle and quiet. And then he uses the example of Sarah in verse 66. As Sarah, this is an amazing story. This is a whole sermon in itself. And as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, 
and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that's frightening. Now, submission's frightening. And Sarah called Abraham Lord. Now, she's no shrinking violet because at one point, Genesis 21, 12, God says, listen to your wife. Listen to Sarah. She speaks the truth of God. And, and I'd like Linda to come up and share a little testimony about what Sarah has meant in her life. Hey. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Um, we were very young when we got married. Well, very immature. Maybe not so young, but immature. <laughs> yeah. And so, therefore, we uh, had a lot of issues to begin with. But I, I loved about John, and the thing that drew me to him was his strength. And uh, as we were married, that became a threat to me at some points. And so one day I was reading the scripture, and I read this scripture in uh, Ephesians 5.22, Wives, be subject to your husbands as unto the Lord. And I thought, oh, okay. I think I can do that if it's on to you, God. And he started talking to me about trusting him with um, my life and trusting him with John and submitting as if I was doing it to him because he really was the one in control of our lives. And the... But through the years, Sarah has meant uh, so much to me. Her life story has spoken to me in so many different ways, but about submission in particular how she was willing to follow Abraham even when he didn't know where he was going. What? Leave my home, my family, my, my familiarity? Uh, she was probably about 65 or so when, when she left there, and so it was not an easy thing for her to just pick up and go. But she did. She followed Abraham. Not only that, she had a lot to be frightened of because at one point, he says, when we go into Egypt, they're going to find you beautiful. At 90 years old, she was still beautiful. And he says, because you're so beautiful, please tell them you are my sister. And then that will be well for me. They won't kill me and to take you. And so, sure enough, as they went into Egypt, her beauty was uh, mentioned abroad until it came to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh wanted her for his wife, and so he brought her into his home, his castle. And uh, it wasn't long, she was, I don't know how long she was there, actually, but God had her back because he sent plagues to Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh knew immediately why it was happening, and he went to Abraham, and he says, why have you done this thing to me? Why have you brought this upon me? And he sent Abraham and Sarah away with all that they had, which he had the right to kill him. He was king, but God was in control. And then they go in uh, on a little further in their journey, and they come to Gerar. And Abimelech was a king there. And he said the same thing to Sarah. He says, do it again. Lie for me. Tell him you're my sister because of your beauty. And, of course, the same thing happened. Her beauty was uh, told about and Abimelech wanted her for his wife and so he brought her into his castle that night he had a dream guess who gave him the dream God God gave him such a frightening dream that he knew that he was wrong now the reason Abraham did this was because he was frightened for his life and Sarah was willing to submit to him to protect him 
in risk of her own life. I don't know how she must have felt about that, but that's what happens a lot of time in marriage, doesn't it? It's not always you're asked to do things for your sake, but for your husband's sake. But she did it, and God had her back again. And the reason Abraham was so afraid was because he knew that was a not a God-fearing country and that that nation didn't know God, and they were very likely to kill him just to take his wife. But by the result of Sarah's decision to be submissive to Abraham and to go and uh, be allowed to take him as a wife, God protected her, but he also saved a nation because they turned towards God. They became a God-fearing nation, and God opened the wombs of Pharaoh or of Abimelech's uh, family, and, and uh, they were able then to have children themselves. But in the midst of all that, God didn't allow Abimelech to touch her. That's what the Bible says. He protects us. He has our back. He not only has our back, he has our husband's back because he asked uh, Abimelech to go and have Abraham, his prophet, pray for him. So he wasn't even condemning Abraham for his fear. But there's so many times in my life when I faced certain circumstances that I was afraid. And this scripture would come back to me about Sarah. You are her children if you're not frightened by any fear. And that's the reason that I was able to move forward. I would push down fear and say, no, God, my trust is in you. And you are in control. And ultimately, you will turn it for my good, even if it doesn't look that good at the time. And I'm sure Sarah could say that. It didn't look that good. But she was willing to submit, and God did the rest. And we can trust him with our lives. If we're obedient, we do good, and we are not frightened by any fear. And that release is also your husband to be the leader he's supposed to be, that God has created him to be. And it's innately in them because God said they're to lead the home and they're to be leaders in our society. So it not only releases them to be leaders in your home, but in the world around them. Now, let me talk to you guys. Likewise, husbands, likewise, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and as their heirs uh, with you of the gracious life of God so nothing will hinder your prayers. Likewise, you're in the same way. Well, likewise, in the same way, or, or what? The same way as Jesus. You are to respond to your wife the same way Jesus responded to those who uh, crucified him. Not that it's the same, but it feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? Not sinning against her. Not uh, threatening or retaliating when she ir- irritates you. No threats against her. And trusting your father who justices, uh, judges justly. Peter goes for the juggler here of, of male chauvinism. Uh, he says, be considerate to her. Come on. Be respectful to her. Be thoughtful of this lady in the same way, seeking to honor our Lord. Live with your wives, he's saying, guys, with careful consideration and very real thoughtfulness. Now, that's important. Don't be thoughtless. Be thoughtful of your wife, showing them respect, literally uh, honor. Do you realize it was a... Uh, why? Because they are heirs, he says. They are heirs. Her as an heir of Jesus' great reward. So... That's radical, because in Peter's day, women were not heirs. And now, Peter's saying women are heirs of the kingdom of God. So, husbands, you are dealing with one of Jesus' heirs here. 
be careful. Honor your wife because Jesus has honored them and he's made them equal heirs. And if you men aren't gentle with your wives, God kind of takes it personally. Linda said, God has your back. Well, he does. He takes it personally. Because the scripture is saying, I'll paraphrase a little bit so we get the, the language here. He says to husbands, if you're rough with your wives, don't expect me to give you anything. I will not be listening to you. I won't be a blessing to you. You're on your own and life will not be a pleasant trip. Because God is saying in this verse, I got the ladies back. Men who are bullies and run roughshod over their wives are not going to like the way their lives turn out. Because God is saying, when it comes to your praying and your communion with me, if you will not honor your wife, I'm not going to have communion with you in your prayers. Ladies, you can submit because of statements like that. God has got your back. Now, wives, it's simple. Be submissive. When you do that, true beauty. I mean, look at this lady. This lady right here. July 2nd, we will have been married 50 years. Do the arithmetic. Now, when people want to know your age, they ask you questions like that. I'm just telling you. But she's gorgeous. I mean, she's beautiful. But it's true inner beauty as well. Everyone who knows her knows that's true. It's because she's practiced these things. Husbands, be considerate, thoughtful, honor your wives. And it's a marriage in which the wife is saying, I want my husband to be honored more than myself. And a husband is saying, I want my wife to be honored more than myself. It's not about how you treat me. It's, it's all about you. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. That's the way it works. Is, now, let me ask you, is, if you who are married here, is that a description of your marriage? Could use a little tweaking? A whole lot of tweaking? A whole rebuild? Come on. And it's, it's a powerful instrument to display God's relationship with us. So this morning, I'm, you need to ask God, how you can practice these things in your own married life. What adjustments that you need to make. Not what your partner needs to make, but what adjustments can you begin to make. And, and, and what does your marriage say to non-believers? You, if you're married to someone who's not a follower of Jesus, you will not pressure or nag them into heaven. You just will not do that. But your demeanor as a Christian gives God the means to change them. Remember, Abraham said, that's not a godly nation. Sarah was submissive to him, and as a result, it became a godly nation. It's the power of what it is to obey God in your relationships in that way. And let me talk to people here who aren't married yet, and for those who want to be married, for those who are contemplating marriage. How are you to think? That's simple, really. Girls, make the man you seek someone you would want to honor. And if he's not someone you'd want to honor, don't marry him. And guys who want to get married, the woman you seek should be someone that you're prepared to treat her as an heir of Jesus Christ himself. And if you're not prepared to do that, don't marry her. Now that's worth its weight in gold. All of you single people who showed up here this Thoughts about marriage. No, this is something you can take home.
And if you're single, God calls you to the same type of relationship, actually, to live your life pleasing to God. This is all this is about. We're living our life as is to the Lord. We subject ourselves to authorities in the workplace, in our relationships, in such a way because we're pleasing to God. Paul writes it this way, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. He says, we make it our aim to please him. That's what it's all about. And make it our life goal. Husbands, wives, single, are you seeking to please him? Are you seeking to please Christ, or is it about you seeking to please you? Your marriage may depend on it. Your future marriage would for sure as well. Your relationships depend on it.